Well, we're continuing our, our series uh, called Summer in the Psalms today by looking at Psalm 90. And if, you've, uh, if you close your Bible after Pastor uh, Wicks read it for us, I'd encourage you to open up there again because we're going to be walking through that psalm together. Before we start to do that, though, I just want to give you a little bit of background on this particular psalm. When you look at it, you'll notice something different right at the beginning, even before verse 1 in what we call the, the superscription. And that's that the psalm was written by Moses. There's 150 psalms in our Bibles, and this is the only one out of those 150 that's attributed to Moses. And the one thing that caught my attention in that little prologue at the beginning is that it said, A prayer of Moses, the man of God. What a great title that would be for any of us at the end of our lives that we could be described as a man or a woman of God. Moses was probably, and I think this is why that description was used, Moses was probably closer to God than any living person that lived before that or has lived since then. God actually spoke audibly to him more than one time. When he first uh, called him to tell him what he was going to do and who he was going to be in that burning bush experience in Exodus 3, he spoke to him audibly. And then on another time on Mount Sinai when God gave him the, the Ten Commandments, Moses audibly heard God's voice. And then Moses even talked to God. He, he asked God one time to see God's glory. And then when you get to the end of Moses' life in Deuteronomy 34 verse 10, there's a, there's a summary of Moses' relationship with God. It says, in Deuteronomy 34, verse 10, No prophet has risen in Israel like Moses. Listen to this. Whom the Lord knew face to face. Moses was the man of God. He was God's man for a very important time in history where God delivered his chosen people from Egypt. And God then uses that incident to describe the miraculous deliverance that God has made for us through Jesus Christ. We aren't told exactly when this psalm was written and what the circumstances were behind this psalm that led Moses to, wrote, to, to write what he wrote. The best guess, just looking at what Moses writes here, about how life is short, and is that Psalm 90 was written around the events of Numbers uh, chapter 20. Now, you don't need to turn there right now, but let me just summarize what happens in that particular chapter. In Numbers 20, three major events happen in Moses' life. At the beginning, in fact, the very first verse of Numbers 20, Moses' sister, Miriam, dies. And then after that, we read about the sin of Moses, the, the very important sin of Moses that didn't allow him to enter the promised land. He, he disobeys God there, and, and in his anger against his people, he, he smashes his staff against a rock to get water instead of just speaking to the rock like God had told him to do. Because he didn't wait for God and took things into his own hands, God punishes his disobedience by telling Moses that he will not be able to enter the promised land. 
this land that he had spent 40 years with a grumbling group of people leading the Hebrew people into. That was his end goal. He was supposed to lead the people not out of slavery from Egypt, but into this new promised land, and he was not going to be able to go in with these with this people. And then at the end of Numbers 20, we read about the third event, and which is that not only does his sister die at the beginning, but now Aaron, Moses' brother and, and his right-hand man, and in some respects his spokesperson, also dies. So not only were Aaron and Miriam, his brother and sister, but they were some of the last of the original people that had escaped from Egypt. God had told him before that because of their, their constant complaining, their constant grumbling, because of their lack of faith, that none of that first generation would enter the promised land other than two people. And those were the two people that spied out the promised land, Joshua and Caleb, and came back with a good report saying, let's go take the land. All the rest of the people would die. And Moses had seen all those people, and now including his brother and sister, die there in the desert. Well, these three events in Numbers 20, plus everything else that he encountered before that, I think is what led Moses to reflect here in Psalm 90 on the brevity of life and on the anger of God and on the prayer for the mercy of God and some of the other things that we'll look at here in Psalm 90. This is Moses' prayer and a song to God as a result of some difficult circumstances in his life. And these circumstances forced Moses to think more deeply, to reflect a little bit more about God and to think about his life and his death and to gain some perspective on what is important in life. He pours out his emotions here in the form of this song. And this psalm has been put in our Bibles as a song that we, as God's people, ought to now sing and ought to reflect upon. And so we want this psalm to do that for us today. How, the question that this psalm brings up is how do you live a life of lasting value? What we'll see as we go through this psalm is that you can make your days on this earth count when you understand who you are in light of who God is. Well, in a lot of Hebrew poetry, the climax of the poem usually shows up somewhere in the middle of the poem. There are, are lines that kind of lead up to that climax, and then there's lines that flow out as a, as a result of that climax. In Psalm 90, I believe verse 12 is the key verse. It's the high point. Look, at that, look down at that verse. It says, So, teach us, and when he says so, he's looking back at everything that he's just talked about. So, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. That we may present to you a heart of wisdom, in some other versions say. So there's something about numbering our days that's connected to a heart of wisdom. Moses says that you will be acting wisely when you learn to number your days. Or I would turn that around a little bit to say that you act wisely when you learn to make your days count. This psalm is about gaining a heart of wisdom, about, about being wise, specifically in how you live your life. What is the wise way to make your life count for God? Well, Moses gives us four answers to that question 
in his prayer to God. He, he starts by reflecting where we all should, on the person of God. This is always the place to start. Proverbs tells us numerous times that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So the first answer to that question there is that a heart of wisdom recognizes that God is forever. Look again at verses 1 and 2. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, before that, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And so these verses here tell us about what we just talked about with the children. That God is permanent. It talks about the permanence of God. And verses 1 and 2 really are a mini uh, four-line poem within the poem. The first and the last line are, are parallel. It says, You have been our dwelling place in all generations. And the last line, Even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And then if you go to the middle two lines, they're parallel as well. This is something that's used often. It's sort of that, we call it an A, B, B, A sort of pattern of poetry. The last, uh, so the middle two lines of, use the picture of birth then to illustrate God's foreverness. Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world. So this goes back to creation. Before God created the world, He was there. That's hard for us to sort of fathom. He is, he's above and beyond creation. Those words from everlasting to everlasting literally mean from vanishing point to vanishing point. As far as your human mind can go back in time, and as far as your human mind can go forward in time, God is there. God has always been, and God will always be. It says there, you have been my dwelling place forever. God is, another way of saying it is God is our home forever. This is talking about security. God is someone that we can always count on to be there. He will never be absent when we look for him. He will never leave you or forsake you is one of the great promises of, of Scripture. So if you are godly, you can always find refuge in God. He will always be there for you. This is a great source of hope for all of us, isn't it? The triune God is the only one that you can ultimately count on. When life becomes uncertain, like it was for Moses, like it is and even some of the events that we've talked about that have happened this week, when you don't know where to turn for, to for security, you can be assured that God is always home. If you anchor yourself in God, if you anchor yourself in the one that is from everlasting to everlasting, you will have a secure and you will have a sure dwelling place. So, do you anchor your life in things? Do you anchor your, your life in people that will pass away? Or do you anchor yourself in the one who is forever? Even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. A great thought to open this psalm. But I think that Moses is, is really just setting us up here for what comes next. He's really just telling us to think about the fact that while God is forever, humankind, you and I, are not forever. And so secondly, a heart of wisdom realizes that life is fleeting. Now, 
This might come to a surprise, as a surprise to many of us here, especially the young or healthy. I was just, I've been, I am actually right now, even though I'm not there, the, the discipleship director at uh, Living Springs this, this week. I was out there last night, it started, and uh, I'll be going out there right, right after we're done. But I was thinking about this on the way home. These kids that are five and grade five and grade six probably have never given a thought to the fact that life is fleeting. They're just thinking about the here and now. And so, but even for us, it's a surprise to many of us. It, it, it might sound even kind of morbid. We sometimes feel like we'll be around forever, don't we? I think we, we all probably in our heart of hearts know different, but we sometimes act like we're invincible. It's always going to be this way until something happens that might put our life into peril. I think one of the effects of this self-absorbed culture in which we live is that, that all we care about is the here and now. The past doesn't matter at all. We don't like history. We, we don't want to have to do much with history. And then we don't want to give a whole lot of thought to the future either. Because when we do that, that just stresses us out even more. And so we're just hanging on, trying to, some of the sayings of this age, trying to survive the moment. And if we can survive the moment, we just want to live in that moment. We don't want it to go away when things are going well. We do everything we can to stay at that point. And so our lives kind of just revolve around the here and now. Yet look at Moses' words there in verses 3 to 6. I, I think he, he gives us a, a healthy dose of perspective, uh, perspective and a sort of needed reality check. Verse 3, You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are, are but as yesterday when it is past, as, as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and it withers. Verse 3 there, right at the beginning, Moses is affirming God's authority over our lives. He gives life and he takes it away. Just as we sang this morning. You turn man back into dust. We, we often say that at funerals, don't we? Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. We start as dust and we end as dust. Ray Stedman tells a, a story of a little girl that heard that line at a funeral, dust to dust. And, and then she went home and she spotted some dust under her bed. And so she called in her mom and said, Mom, there's someone under my bed. I just don't know whether he's coming or whether he's going. <laughs> ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Our passage says, you turn man into, into dust. It's God that does that. God is in control of our lives. He knows the number of our days on this earth. He is in control of the length of our lives. And then Moses talks about how life is, is so short in the grand scheme of things. To God, a thousand years. Now I know this is figurative, but just think. To God, a thousand years. So that's from... 1,011 to 2,011. That's lots of, a few things have happened in that time, right? But that period of time, in a figurative way, is just like yesterday to God. It's here and then it's gone. Our lives, we can all say, come and go fast. In comparison with the eternal God, especially, the, the lifespan of men and women is like a little blip in time. He says it's like grass that fades. 
Now Moses would have been very familiar with the desert. In one commentary I read, it says that in the desert, even if it just gets a little bit moist at night, a little bit humid, humid sometimes you would see a, a, a small chunk of grass kind of spout out, sprout up in what was normally sort of brown hills. But then as soon as the sun would come out, it would get scorched and it would be gone. And Maddie even sang about that a little bit this morning. Like a, we're like flowers quickly fading. We're here today and then we're gone tomorrow. That's what our, our lives are like. They are fleeting. They're here and then they're gone. In another place in Psalm 39, the, the writer there prays that God would, would sort of just keep this thought in front of him. Let us always have this thought in, in front of us. Lord, he says, let me know how transient I am. My lifetime is nothing in your sight. Surely every man at his best is a mere breath. If you want to be wise, this psalm is telling us to, to meditate on the fact that life is fleeting. It goes by so fast. For those of us that are young kids, and, and, uh, and, and sometimes we, we struggle, oftentimes we struggle with the phase that our children are in. Well, what's the advice that you receive when you go to someone that's a little bit older and, and wiser? What do they say? They said, this phase will be over before you know it. Or, or cherish this time with your children, they tell you. It'll go by so quickly. Our lives are just like that in light of eternity. Now the good news is that this is just talking about your earthly life. In our Bibles, we read that after this, there's another life. We will all be resurrected. John 5, 29 says, all of us will be resurrected. Those who did good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. And so the question that I will ask right now and come back to a little bit later is, how will you live your life now so that it is of lasting value in eternity? How will you live your life now so that it is of lasting value in eternity? So heart of wisdom recognizes that God is infinite and that we are very finite. God is forever and our earthly life is, more, is mortal. So then how are we supposed to think about life and, and how are we supposed to think about God? Well, Moses next tells us why our lives are fleeting. The reason our life goes by like a vapor or, or as a mist, as James says, is because of sin. And so the third point there is that a heart of wisdom will regard God's fury. Since God is the one that returns man to dust, how are we to think about him? Hebrews 12.5 says, Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. That's a quote from Proverbs 3, verse 11, which is right in the middle of a section on the topic of wisdom. A wise person will understand that God is holy, will understand that God is a judge and that God responds to sin with all these words listed here in Psalm 90, verses 7 to 11. Wrath, anger, fury. Just listen to me as I read it again. Verse 7, For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger? 
and your wrath according to the fear of you. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Now people don't really like to talk about this aspect of God too much. In our postmodern, in our enlightened, in our non-confrontational, I'm okay, you're okay kind of mindset. But anyone that reads the whole Bible, and not just the parts that they like about God, need to deal with this aspect of God as well. God is very much a God of love. But because God is love, He is also a God of fury and of, of godly anger. He has to be because of sin. Back to Psalm 80, you ought to ask at this point, how does this anger of God relate to the fact that our lives are fleeting? Well, the answer is that God's anger against sin is the reason why our lives are fleeting. Verse 7 starts out with that word for. The reason our lives fade like grass is because of God's wrath. For we are brought to an end by your anger. You have set our iniquities before you. Our iniquities, our sins are before God. They are, they're open, they're exposed to the light of His presence. And so the ultimate cause of death is sin. Death came into the world because of sin. We die because sin entered our world through Adam. And we are His offspring. We are born with a sin nature. And we die because we actually do sin. And so Moses says our relatively short lives are the response of God to our iniquities. All our days have declined in your fury. We have finished our years like a sigh. Sin has shortened our days on this earth. That's what it says here. As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow, for soon it is gone and we fly away. Sounds kind of depressing and, and somber, doesn't it? Especially probably for you that are about 69 right now. <laughs> but these are sort of generalities in which God is speaking uh, to us in. Moses, through God, is his inspired word here. Moses was obviously here despondent when he wrote this letter. His sister and his brother had just died. He, he sinned and he was barred from the promised land. But this isn't meant here to make us morbid. It ought to move us to regard God's anger and then to rid ourselves of our pride and of our sin. To stop thinking of ourselves and our immortality and to start thinking about God and His holiness. And to think about His wrath and to, and to think about His wrath in terms of our eternity. You are not from everlasting on the front end. But you are too everlasting on the back end. All of you. You will either live forever in heaven or in hell. This ought to get you to thinking about your eternity. Our greatest problem is, is not only that we are frail, that our lives are fleeting. Our greatest problem is that we are sinners and that we sit under the sentence of God's wrath. This is not something we can just brush aside and not think about. If you are not a Christian and you are here today, you need to understand that this is your present state, your present condition. You need to hear today the good news that God didn't leave you in that condition. He came into this, this fleeting world in the person of Jesus Christ. And if you do not 
believe and if you do not rely upon, that's literally what that means, if you do not rely upon Jesus Christ as the one that died on the cross in your place, absorbing God's fury for your sin, then you will face eternal punishment for those sins. The wrath of God will abide on you. Like all of us that are in this room, you have broken God's law. And so I plead with you today to repent of your sins, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you trust in Christ as as your substitute and as your Savior, then when your life on this earth ends, you will be immediately in the presence of God forever, enjoying Him for the rest of eternity. It won't matter as much that your life is fleeting here on this side because you will have a life forever in eternity. So you need to respond today by putting your faith in Christ while you still have time. If you are a believer, you ought to respond to God in praise, knowing that the wrath of God against you has already been satisfied by Christ's death on the cross. Proverbs 1-9 to is bracketed by the words, The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. If you want to gain a heart of wisdom, you need to cultivate a healthy fear of God and to see God as a holy judge. Psalm 90 verse 11 says, We need to understand the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear that is due you. Let that sink in. And then thank God for Jesus Christ. And then resolve to let that knowledge of God's holiness thrust you into a life of, of holiness and obedience and righteousness where you seek to serve God throughout your fleeting, yes, but throughout your life and right into eternity. That all brings us to the key verse. Because God is angry against sin, which results in the shortening of human life, Moses prays, teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. A heart of wisdom has a realistic outlook on life. You live wisely when you see God for who he is, the eternal and the holy God, and you see yourself for who you really are, a sinful, finite person under the sovereign God. And when you do that, you will number your days by desiring to live a life that seeks to store up treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust will destroy, and where thieves cannot break in, where thieves cannot steal. And that leads to to the final part of Psalm 90. If we see God as we ought, and we see ourselves as we ought, what will be our response? It ought to cause us to run to God, knowing that He is the one that can save us, from his wrath and, and, and by satisfying us with his unfailing love. And so a heart of wisdom finds relief in God's favor. Look at verses 13 to 17. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and that we may be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This, this psalm ends in praise and in worship and in, and in joy. Oh, how we need the favor of God. Moses recognized that there is still hope in God. God can rescue his servants. Moses makes a series of requests to God in these verses, pleading for God's mercy and pleading for God's presence, pleading for God's 
favor and his kindness. Even though God is angry at their sin, even though death is imminent, we can still be made to sing for joy and to be glad all our days. Charles Haddon Spurgeon wrote, When the Lord refreshes us with his presence, our joy is such that no man can take it from us. Apprehensions of speedy death are not able to distress those who enjoy the present favor of God. Though they know that the night cometh, they see, they see nothing to fear in it, but continue to live while they live, triumphing in the present favor of God and leaving the future in His loving hands. We can, as God's children, we can think about death and think well about death because it's just leading us into eternal presence with God. People don't like to think about death these days. But we as believers don't need to fear that. Even though death has sting, we don't need to fear what's going to happen on the other side. I love this last section of Psalm 90. I want to pray this way. With these requests, we basically tell God that we desperately need him to pour out his grace and his mercy on us. On our own, we're at the mercy of God's wrath, but God is able to give us what no one else can and what we don't deserve. When he says, do return, O Lord, that prayer was answered when God came to earth in the person of Jesus. In God's grace, he provided the one that would die for his people. Can you, can you hear the emotion and the desperation in this prayer? Do return, O Lord. How long will it be? Oh, satisfy us in the morning. This is a, a desperate man recognizing his utter dependence on God. So let me ask you, where do you find your satisfaction? Wherever it is, it'll be nothing like the satisfaction you find in God. Nothing will make you sing for joy. Nothing will be able to give you lasting gladness like being satisfied in God. There are many things on this earth that look to the human eye like they may, might provide some kind of lasting satisfaction. It could be anything. It could be hobbies. It could be uh, entertainments. It could be leisure. It could be vacations. It could be alcohol. It could be sex. It could be money. You name it. The list is, goes on forever. You look at whatever that thing is. You look at that and go, ah, now I'm satisfied. But listen to me, it's all, in the end, empty. It is all unfulfilling in the long view. It's all temporary. It's all fleeting. It will not last. So don't fill your life with more things. They will all be burned up. Don't even expect to find true fulfillment with more friends. They'll let you down. Nothing will ultimately satisfy other than God. And so I plead with you to pursue satisfaction in God alone. Study the Bible. Meditate on His Word. Delight in His Word. Listen to Isaiah 40. Surely the people are like grass. The grass withers, but the Word of our God will stand forever. Hey, there's the third thing that's going to last forever. God's Word. The only satisfaction that will bring lasting joy and lasting gladness is found in God. And so Moses ends up with one final request there in verse 17, and he repeats it twice. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. 
few years ago, someone who's, a, who's now a good friend of, of ours was baptized. And when he, he came up out of the water and he had uh, tears in his eyes, he looked up and shouted, Make it real! Make it real! And he, what he was saying is that he wanted his newly professed faith to be obvious and to be clear and to be transforming. If I could put Moses' words into, into our culture, he would look up and shout, Make it count! Make it count. When he says establish the work of my hands, that's what he means. He wants his life here on earth to count for something when he gets to heaven. It means to make permanent. In other words, make it last. Lord, he's saying, let the things I do for you here on this earth have eternal value. Make them last. I hope that's your request too. I, I pray that you would do things that have eternal value. Things that glorify God. Things that honor Him. Things that lift up His fame. Things that, that make Him appear glorious. Now it's not that God needs us to do that because He will ultimately glorify Himself. But God has put each of us on this earth for a reason. He wants, he wants you to be His instruments. His hands, His feet, His voice. He leaves us on this earth for the time that we are here to do something good for Him. Not in the terms of earning your salvation, but after your salvation, to, to make your life count for Him. As long as you are here, as long as God gives you life, as fleeting as it might be, you might as well find what God wants you to do for Him and do it well. Do it as unto the Lord. Although life is temporary, there is something that lasts. Unlike grass that fades, flowers that fade and wither away, the work of our hands that are done for the Lord will not fade. They will not wither away. They will have lasting value. The fourth thing, our rewards, things that we do for God will be rewarded for. They will have lasting value. They will give witness to the favor or the beauty of the Lord. So how will you make your days count for God? How will you make your life have lasting value in heaven? The negative way of saying make your life count is don't waste your life. It's the name of a John Piper book that I highly recommend if you want to read more about that. Or Jesus had another way of saying the same thing in Matthew 6. Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. I already quoted this before. And where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. The stuff on earth will be gone. The stuff in heaven will be from everlasting to everlasting. And so I encourage you today to let your mind, uh, to, to set your mind to the task of living a life that does not just end with a sigh or a whimper. Live your life in such a way that where all you do serves to glorify God. And then pray that God would establish the work of your hands far beyond your earthly life. And that way, even when you are gone, other people that come after you will continue to reap what you have sown. And for yourself, when you get to heaven, you will hear those Words from God, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Friends, make your life on earth count. And you will experience joy in the presence of God forever. Let's pray.